Hello, welcome and thank you for joining us at Live from the Hive, a place where we discuss early years and education and how we can get the best from both to support children, parents and professionals to give children the best start in life. In their publication Girls with Autism Flying Under the Radar, the National Association for Special Educational Needs have said that four males are diagnosed with autism for every one female. Today I'll be speaking with Lucy Cowell, a young lady who was diagnosed with autism in her early 20s after a number of years of personal and social challenges. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Live from the Hive. Really happy to be joined today by Lucy Cowell. Lucy, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Really well, thanks. So Lucy, you're currently working as a success coach at a local college. Can you tell us what you do in your job? Um, so I, I basically have a caseload of students. Um, I look after construction and also health and social care and early years um, students. And I just support them with their um, journey, really, through college. So I just support the lecturers with their the pastoral side of things and their progression. Um, so, yeah, just, just to support their success, really, just ensure they're successful. Sounds like a really rewarding job. So, um, Lucy, we're obviously here because we're going to discuss um, autism and um, we're really keen to speak to you because you recently were diagnosed with autism. So can you tell us the age that you were diagnosed at and what the diagnostic process involved? Yeah, so I was um, diagnosed when I was 20 years old, so um, fairly recently, um, just a couple of years ago now. Um, But the process was quite long for me. Um, My mum tried to get me diagnosed when I was 14, um, but the doctor at the time um, said that because it wasn't picked up when I was young. Um, It's very unlikely that I'd have it. Um, But then after, when it got to, when I was about 18, 19, my mum was doing some training and was looking specifically at girls on the spectrum. And she just saw a lot of sort of similarities. um, So decided to try again. And luckily the doctor we saw was really, really helpful and supported us um, in sort of receiving that help. Um, and we ended up going privately in the end because it is such a long sort of waiting list um, for the diagnosis. Um, but it was it was just a day of it was about four hours of just very intense conversations about sort of what I was like as a really young child up until sort of now and um, discussions with my mum. And yeah, so that's it, really. Yeah. <clears throat> And when you say they were asking you about what you were like as a child and how you are now, what specific things were they asking you about? Um, so it was obviously when I was a young child, this questions were aimed more towards my mum. So that it was it was questions yeah. about looking at the specific elements, I guess, of the spectrum. So communication, um, the sensory difficulties, and it was it was more questions focused on those. So whether there was anything that sort of stood out to my mum when I was a young child um, that, I don't know, was a bit weird or, you know, stuff like that, really. Um, And just about sort of my difficulties um, now. So asking questions about how I I was at school, what sort of struggles I had. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Okay. So when you're thinking about being back at school, can you think of like many challenges that you faced 
that you experienced then that you think might now be linked to the autism that was undiagnosed then? Yes, um, definitely. So all through primary school and secondary school, I did struggle with bullying. Um, I'd always sort of have one close friend. Um, and yeah. if if that one close friend ever started hanging around with other people, I'd get quite attached to that person. And there was quite a few right. incidences where I'd come home crying or really upset, saying, mum, my, fr- my mm-hmm. friends don't like me. But once I'd explained the situation, my mum was like, no, I think you're just misinterpreting these things. But at that time, I just I really didn't yeah. get it why I was feeling like this, why these things were affecting me so much when they weren't affecting other people. Um, Obviously now it sort of makes sense. Um, So I had a lot of issues with friendships, sort of in and out of friendship groups. Um, And I guess just feeling a bit, just feeling different, I guess. I didn't really feel like I fit, like fitting anywhere with with people. I had interests that other people weren't interested in and the, the intensity of those interests was a lot different to other people my age. Um, yeah, it's quite. It was quite difficult. Yeah. When you were in school, were there any like um, teachers or any adults around that you felt you could speak to about this thing, or was it something that you sort of just dealt with alone? Um. Interestingly, um, one of the teachers I was closest to was my tutor in year eleven, specifically, mm. um, and she we got quite close and my mum had quite a good relationship with her as well because she you know she understood my difficulties and was able to communicate Mm. that with my mum and interestingly she had two autistic sons as well um Um, so that was quite interesting um but yeah she she was amazing um I did have quite a lot of time I did spend quite a lot of time in the sort of health and well-being um office as well and had some support there and they were they were really good obviously at the time um it was support for sort of anxiety obviously I didn't know I was autistic back then so yeah Yeah. but yeah I I did have I did have some few supportive staff there good so when you talk about this teacher the one that had the two children with autism what is it specifically that she did that made you feel more comfortable around her I think it was just sort of the understanding that, she, you know, she listened to me. She didn't make me feel like my my feelings were irrelevant or stupid. Um, I think I think I had I had quite a few counts, counselors and things back then, and all of my counselors that I had would ask me questions like, "Why are you feeling like this? Why Why are you thinking like this?" And my answer would be, yeah. "I don't know. I don't know." Whereas yeah. I wouldn't really get that sort of response from her. Um, right. I don't know. I, just, I guess I just sort of felt safe. Right. Yeah. Because it almost sounds like she was just giving you the space to be yourself rather than yeah. you having to be accountable. Right. Because I mean, the reason that I ask that is because um, there's a range of children that I've worked with that have had tons of different labels, you know, autism, challenging behavior, whatever. And I know they're quite abstract things. But I think there are so many professionals, so many adults who give a label to a child and that's all that child is. They are no longer Billy, Simon or whoever. They're that kid with the thing, you know, and I think it's just a shame that so many children get lost because adults just don't understand them, you know. No, definitely. And I I feel quite passionately um, about sort of functioning labels with autism as well. 
Um, okay. Because usually when, when someone asks me, when, when, when I tell someone that I'm autistic, the, the first thing they say is, oh, you must be very high functioning because you don't look autistic. Right. But I, I kind of, it kind of frustrates me because people don't understand that the spectrum is not a linear spectrum. Yeah. And actually there might be someone who's nonverbal but yes. actually really likes social gatherings, but because they're right. not verbal, people assume that yeah. they can't, that they won't be able to cope with anything. Um, yeah. So they don't, they almost have really low expectations of that person. Yes. Whereas if you can consider someone high functioning because they can talk, you know, talk confidently, yes. um, but actually they might really struggle in a social situation, but because... Yeah people see them as high function they automatically have high expectations of them so then push them into things they yes. don't feel comfortable with when actually everyone is so different on the spectrum and i think yeah. it's really important to actually understand that person and that person's specific needs right then but that what you're speaking of is just a basic human function of a relationship you get to know the individual you know there's a there's a ton of people that i know that don't necessarily have autism but they don't like being around big groups of people but then you just work out, yeah, you know, that's Michael doesn't like being in big groups and that's fine. That's just who they are. But I don't know. That's where I think, you know, the labels sometimes, I th- I obviously see the importance of them, but there are sometimes where I think a label in the hand of a certain individual is a very, um, it's a damaging thing more than a helpful thing in some cases, you know, because they don't explore the person I beyond agree. that label, if that makes sense. Exactly. And, and they do tend to have, um, from experience, they do tend to have lower expectations of that person, which is, is really damaging because it means they're assuming this person can't cope with anything. So we're not going to give them any challenges. We're not going to. Yes. And actually that person might really like that. How, how's that going to make that person feel? It's going to make them feel like they're not capable of doing anything. Absolutely. And how is it going to build them and develop their skills and things like this? So with regards to you and thinking of labels, since your diagnosis, has the um, diagnosis of autism helped you in any way, shape or form? Um, it, de- it definitely has, actually. I think um, it's allowed me to have access to more things I wouldn't have had before. Um, so I, I struggled quite a lot in school and in college and just in education, really, because I didn't have those sort of that support available. Whereas now I'm I'm currently studying a degree and I've been able to um, have funding through the dis- disabled student, the dis- disabled student allowance, um, which has allowed me to have sort of a mentor and extra support, which has been really beneficial for me. So it definitely, definitely has helped in, in a lot of ways. Amazing. What are you studying? Um, I'm studying English literature. Awesome. It's really brilliant. And I think, you know, just hearing that, I mean, one of the aims of this podcast is to be a resource for, you know, parents, carers, staff, because I think, again, sometimes with a diagnosis, there are some parents that might be fearful. It means my child won't be able to do certain things. But what you are is a living example of success, you know, beyond you know, a diagnosis, which is brilliant. You referred to support. So um, when you talk of support, you mentioned funding for your the course that you're doing. Are there any other avenues of support you've been able to access since you've had your diagnosis? Yeah, um, so annoyingly, I didn't really receive any sort of support 
um, when I received my diagnosis, it was kind of like, here you go, you're autistic, um, crack on. Um, so it wasn't, it was frustrating okay. in that sense because I'm, I'm quite passionate about improving this really because I feel like there's a lot of support out there for children and for parents with children on the spectrum. But I think people forget that p- children do not grow out of autism. They're autistic for the rest of their life. Um, but there doesn't seem to be that support available or not as it's not as common it's quite hard to find um i mean i was referred to have um cbt and i had an assessment but then the lady at the end of it said well you're autistic so i can't you can't have cbt and i was a bit confused but obviously it makes sense because cbt is all about changing how you think and changing and just looking at why you think like that but i can't change how i think because that's how my brain is um so it is quite difficult. Um, I think the the biggest support that I found for me though, um, was there are, there's a lot of sort of social media groups online. There's an adult, um, an autistic adult community on Facebook, which has been quite nice because it means people can sort of share their experiences, give people advice, and that's quite nice. I think I think just having a group of like a community, um, to talk about the things we struggle with and just know that you know you're not the only one that's going through that. I think that that's been enough for me, I think, at this point. And this, I think it leads to another point. I imagine that for some people in some cases where they don't see themselves in fitting in or understanding the same things that other people are doing, there must be a tremendously big feeling of isolation in some cases. You know, if one's in school and they're seeing other children do things and they don't have the same interests, let's say. Did you ever feel that way at all or is that me just over thinking what you're saying no I definitely did yeah um I was I was very isolated as um a child and through school um and this was one of the things we Mm. spoke about in my assessment um was I I kind of um I had I had like a really big imagination which probably is why I'm doing English at uni now um so I had a very vivid sort of imagination and I'd make up sort of like, um, I'd almost make up yeah. friends. I'd have like imaginary friends um, and I'd put on like performances at home and pretend I'm performing for my friends right. because I didn't have that at school. Um, so it was quite isolating and I didn't really, I never really found yeah. any friends up until now, which I had right. any sort of common interests with. So I think I almost made up these imaginary friends where I could have these conversations that I wanted to have, but I couldn't have with my friends at school. It was, yeah, it was quite isolating. And I guess that's another big thing about girls on the spectrum is the masking. Um, I was a very different person at school to what I was like at home, which was quite hard and very exhausting. Do you remember what motivated you to be different at school? So you're saying you were very different at school than you were at home. Do you remember why you did that at all? I think it was just from experiences in in primary school where I was bullied for being different um, and liking different things and 
just acting different um and it's that it's just that you you sort of as a as a girl on the spectrum you sort of pick up on these you know this is this is what's socially acceptable this what I'm doing isn't socially acceptable how do I mold myself to be more like these people and that's kind of what I started doing when I went into secondary school and I know a lot of people do this anyway this isn't just um exclusive to autistic people but it's it's sort of that um sort of mirroring who you um mirroring from the people you're around so if I was with one certain group I'd my characteristics and my behaviors are very much like how they were but then if I was with another group it'd be something else I kind of just lost my whole identity at school I didn't really know who I was um because I was constantly just doing this performance really it was it was pretty hard but yeah I think the thing that's really um insane about school particularly secondary or high school is that I think literally everybody is in the same boat in different um aspects you know there are so many people that have so much bravado when they're at school but when they're at home they may be a totally different character because they're not that important at home no it's definitely not exclusive to the autistic community at all absolutely And the thing is, you just hope that school would be a space where people could be themselves and everybody just relaxed rather than causing, you know, potential traumas for other people. But I don't know, it's just a mixed bag of um, hormones and growth, I suppose, so people can't really control the way they are. But with all this, so you've mentioned that, you know, school was really quite challenging. Given where you are now and what you know now, if you were going to give like some advice to, you know, particularly any girls that might, you know, feel really different who are at school, who were going through things that you mentioned, putting on this, you know, front at school, let's say, but at home having to be totally different and, you know, wind down and bid themselves. What could these girls do to maybe have a better time of it all? I think, I think it would be impossible to tell them um, I'd love to be able to tell them to be them, their complete selves all the time but I know for anyone it's really difficult to do that when you've got the pressures of school um, and it is sometimes really really hard um, but I'd just say just not to lose yourself um, and to you know remember who you are and don't feel ashamed of your interests and don't feel ashamed of who you are and being able to express that. And, you know, it, it can feel really easy when you're at school to be like, oh, I, I like this, but no one else likes this. So it's wrong that I should like this. So I'm I'm going to, you know, try and not like this anymore or not do this anymore. And I think it's really easy to do that. But I think I, I think I wish I didn't do that. I wish I, I still sort of stayed true to myself and enjoyed the things that I enjoyed and didn't feel guilty for being me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really wonderful piece of advice. And I think, you know, for a final question, I mean, um, that's looking at you in the past, but for adults now who are in a space where they again might feel a bit different, bit unsure about how to fit in, what advice could you maybe give to them? Um, again, similar. So don't don't feel guilty for, you know, being who you are. Um, but also it you know, 
it's amazing now the amount of things you can find on social media yeah. and the amount of communities and sort of spaces and for so many different types of people, not even just people on the spectrum, anything. There is something out there. And I think that that's been really helpful for me is just remembering that I'm not alone. And I, you know, there are so many other people who are going through the same things as me and to reach out and sort of make friends and, be part of a community and um, because it is really easy to feel isolated and feel like you know why am I so different why why do I not fit in yeah. but you're by finding these communities you can fit in somewhere which it, it just feels nice to be able to be yourself and know that there are other people who can you know share those share share the experiences with you I just think it's great yeah. And the final question for you. So it really sounds like you're just so passionate about raising awareness of autism and getting support for people with autism. Is there anything that you're working on at the moment or looking forward to doing with regards to the autistic community that you could tell us about? Um, so I've recently just become a Hampshire Autism Ambassador. Um, wow. So I've been doing some bits with that at the moment. Um, I've, I'm currently also with, with my work, raising awareness um, sort of within within the college. Um, but I'm also quite intrigued to look into sort of building that awareness into schools and even primary as well. I think I think for me... Um, and I'm sure for other autistic individuals, I think school things like school would have been actually a lot easier if children were more aware of it. Um, because I've I've found since as I've got older, um, it has been easier because adults and adults are a lot more aware of children than children of autism. So it's you know they they're more accepting. Whereas if we started to build this awareness earlier on, it might prevent things like bullying and um. Yeah, they're just those misconceptions. I think I think it's really important to build the awareness from an early age. And so I'd, I'd love to do some stuff with that. Yeah. Well, I think that is an amazing note to end on. And I think, you know, if I might be able to say, I think younger Lucy would be so magnificently proud <laughs> of um, the Lucy that you are today. Thank you. Lucy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Cheers. Really insightful chat there with Lucy. Really think her honesty was tremendously helpful in understanding what the journey is like in having a diagnosis, particularly in adulthood. Now in our next episode, I'm actually going to be speaking to Jane Cowell, who's Lucy's mum. Jane will be discussing her journey and supporting her daughter along the way to her diagnosis. Really look forward to seeing you then and really look forward to you hearing from Jane. Some really interesting stuff from her. Until then, thanks for joining us. Take care of yourselves and see you next time on Life from the Hive.